Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's Friday. It's April 7th. Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today. Bob Kemp having a scheduled day off, expected to return Monday at 9 a.m. But we have plenty to get into in terms of what's going on in the world of the Masters, Augusta National. We'll also head on out to the KDOS hotline as we'll be joined by Gina Mizell of the Philadelphia Inquirer today around 10.15. We'll talk a little Joel Embiid. We'll talk about the 76ers as well. And then at 11.15, we'll also catch up with Cole Thompson, uh, writer with Fan Nation, as well as host of Just Saying It on SportsMap Radio Network around 11.15. And we'll chat some NFL draft with Cole. And... Without uh, missing a beat here on a Friday, it's your Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits $100 gift certificate giveaway. So we'll still have that coming up later on in today's program. But let's first set the scene with today's poll questions. And let's start here with the KDOS1060.com poll question. What should... Monty Williams' plan B for the remaining two games of the regular season. Options are continue playing KD Paul Booker 35 plus minutes, play KD Paul Booker 18 to 30 minutes, or do not dress KD Paul and Booker. And right now, leading the way with 75% of the vote is playing them 18 to 30 minutes, not dressing them at 25% of the vote, and continue to play them 35 plus minutes is receiving 0% of the vote. We'll get into a little bit more with the Phoenix Suns here in just a second. Tossing it on over to the Twitter poll question at KDOS AM 1060. Who is more important that they are on the court for their team? Paul George with the Clippers, Andrew Wiggins with the Warriors, Zion Williamson with the Pelicans. Uh, Haven't heard any new updates uh, on Paul George other than uh, that he's still out and we'll have to wait to see what happens with him. Andrew Wiggins, uh, the last I heard is that he could be back for the playoffs. And Zion Williamson, last I heard, is that he will miss the play-in games if the Pelicans land in that spot, uh, but could potentially be back for the playoffs. The masses, 60% is on Paul George side of things and Andrew Wiggins and Zion Williamson each at 20% apiece. We'll get into this here on Twitter at KDUSAM10. 60 around 11:30 today. As I mentioned, it's a Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits Friday. So here are the weekend specials. Are you ready? Certified Angus beef tri-tip roast at 12.99 a pound. Prime boneless pork uh, butterfly chops at 5.99 a pound and all natural fresh boneless skinless chicken breast at 5.99 a pound but you want to make sure to head on over to our friends at Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits at 2390 North Alma School in Chandler today and Saturday as they are closed on Sunday in observance of the Easter holiday but they're not your normal meat market craft beer wine spirits and of course amazing treats 
for the four-legged friends. Once again, 2390 North Alma School in Chandler, bonhansonsmeets.net, as we will have the $100 gift certificate a little bit later on in today's show. So the Masters is underway from Augusta National. The weather could not have been any more perfect than it was yesterday, and the scores reflected that. Uh, with three players, John Rahm, Brooks Kepka, and Victor Hovland all shooting seven under par yesterday. So far this morning, the weather continues to be really good, but the clouds are kind of starting to brew a little bit, and the weather is expected to turn nasty here this afternoon. So we'll see how that uh, is yet to unfold. Brooks Kepka, though, he went out this morning. He continued his stellar play, and he is your clubhouse leader at 12 under par. Justin Ray. He continues to be a great golf follow on Twitter. Uh, Coming with the stats here, two players have been exactly 12 under par through two rounds in Masters history. Greg Norman did it in 1996. Brooks Kepka here in 2023. The leader for the 36-hole, um, I guess historically, is actually Jordan Spieth, though, at 14 under par. We'll get into a little bit more about the Masters round one. There's some controversy surrounding Brooks Kepka as well. We'll do that a little bit later on in the show. But I first want to address the Suns beating the Nuggets last night, 119 to 115. The Nuggets didn't play. Jokic, Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon, Catavius Caldwell-Pope, Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, that's all five of their starters didn't play in this contest. And I've been saying this for a while now that I want to see the Suns play a close game against a good team and kind of get that feeling of being in a close contest, needing to make some shots and some buckets uh, before the playoffs get started. But the problem is, is that this Nuggets team without your starting five is not a good team. That's not what I meant. I wanted this to happen with all five of the Nuggets starters. It didn't take place. So should we be concerned about what just happened last night? Or are we making too much of it that really the intensity level just probably wasn't there from the the start because the Suns players knew that the Nuggets weren't bringing out the rest of their crew. They didn't have the starting five to play, so that intensity level just wasn't there from the start. They weren't playing their guys, and the Suns maybe didn't want to show too much if this is an opponent that they're going to be seeing later on in the playoffs. But, you know, part of me is like, this Suns team should have trounced them. This shouldn't have been close. This shouldn't have been a contest. This shouldn't have uh, required Kevin Durant to play 40-plus minutes. It shouldn't have required Chris Paul to play 35-plus minutes. But in the end, we did get some historical uh, perspective here. Chris Paul, he did hit a career-high seven threes. He was 7 of 12 from behind the arc, 9 of 15 from the floor for 25 points and just two assists. His assists have been down here in the last couple of games for Chris Paul. But I've said it before, and I'll say it again, this Chris Paul has to be ready to go in the playoffs. We've seen now a couple of more performances where he's willing to shoot the basketball, it kind of in a catch-and-shoot type situation, and he's knocking down the shots. And I think we need to see that, especially just with the way that teams, defensive teams, are going to be forced to make choices on Booker and KD, and that could potentially leave Chris Paul open. So he's going to have to keep this level of play up, I think, 
for this roster to go deep into the playoffs just because we've seen it time and again now that depth just isn't there. So the starting five is going to be crucial, and especially if certain players are uh, you know, covered or not having a good shooting night, Chris Paul is certainly going to have to step up in that regard. As I previously mentioned, though, Kevin Durant, 41 minutes, 9 of 18, 6 of 10 from 3 for 29 points, once again, KD shows why he's KD. Uh, keeping the Suns in this game and, and making the key buckets when you need to make them. So he shows why you want this type of player, this type of person on your roster. He instantly makes you a better team. But 41 minutes? On one hand, Monty and KD had expressed that they actually wanted him to log this many heavy minutes at least once before the playoffs. But on the other hand... You want to kind of keep your players healthy, right? We've seen what happens when KD's not on the court with the way that the roster is currently constructed. Uh, I understand, though, that you kind of want to make sure that he has in the back of his head, I can log these minutes, my conditioning's there, it's not going to impact my shot, I'm ready to go for the playoffs. So he has that kind of peace of mind. It is an interesting balancing act, though, because you have only played eight games together with this crew. They are 8-0, though. So is that now enough? Is that enough time now for them to get that chemistry and cohesion down? Booker, he had an off night last night, just three of 12 for 15 points and eight assists. Uh, So not what we're accustomed to seeing from Devin Booker, but he tried to make some impact there with eight assists. Overall, I guess I'm just a little bit disappointed here because, like I said, With the Nuggets not playing any of their starters, you would kind of think that this would just be a game where you come in, you shut them down, make this no contest, and rest in the fourth quarter. And that's obviously not what happened. It ended up needing crunch time in the fourth quarter to get this victory. The Suns, they'll have some choices to make, and and one of those choices, posing it to you, if you are Bonnie Williams, what would you do now with the next two regular season games left to go against the Lakers and the Clippers, which, ironically, depending upon what happens, could potentially be a first-round opponent for the Phoenix Suns in the playoffs. As I mentioned, the Lakers today, 7.30 p.m., and the Clippers Sunday at 12.30 p.m. to wrap up the regular season. The Suns, they can't go anywhere. They're in the fourth seed, so they're locked and loaded right there. So definitely some decisions to be made. It's obviously a back-to-back, so plenty of decisions here for the Phoenix Suns. We stick in the world of the NBA and we head on out to the KDOS hotline on the other side of the break as we'll be joined by Gina Mizell. Get her perspective of what's going on in Philadelphia, the Joel Embiid conversation, the 76ers. How does she view kind of the tiers of the East? Does she see it the same way that we've kind of been talking about all week long? So we'll get her perspective of that on the other side of the break. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app, powered by Superbook Sports. James Out West brings NFL, NBA, MLB, and local sports talk to you Monday night, starting at 7 on KDOS AM 1060 and the KDOS 1060 app.
Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along online at KDOS1060.com. And with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports, we pop on out to the KDOS hotline to get the 76ers perspective. Friend of the show, Gina Mizell from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Gina, Kayla with you. How are you doing? I'm great, Kayla. Excited for the playoffs in both conferences, but certainly um, the Sixers playoff run, I think, is going to be very interesting, not just for the current version of this team, but potentially for the future of, of what this team looks like as well. I love it. You've set the scene beautifully here. All things we're going to get into, but I guess I can't put the cart before the horse here. We have to start with Joel Embiid. Uh, This man averaging 33 points a game, 10 rebounds a game, four assists a game. He's about on pace for the same amount of games this regular season as last, but significantly more than two years ago. He has dropped three games this season with at least 50 points in the contest. So is he the regular season MVP? I mean, he's got a great case, obviously. And Doc Rivers came out and said that the MVP race was over after he scored 52 points in a win over, like, earlier this week. And the Sixers needed every single one of those points. And just his his dominance overall, his scoring, his shot blocking, um, the way he has sort of continued to evolve his game. He's playing a lot more from sort of that mid-post area, the elbow and the nail on the court and just his facilitating from there, the way he can play off the dribble and shoot off the dribble. I mean, he's doing stuff that a big man just shouldn't be able to do. And that's no disrespect, obviously, to Giannis has an amazing case with the season he's having and the fact that the Bucks are the best team in the league. And, of course, Nikola Jokic and everything that he has done and his efficiency and his advanced stats and the fact that the Nuggets are the best team in the West. So you really cannot go wrong with any selection. But as somebody who's watched Joe all season, um, he has been, I think, the best he's ever been um, at, at this point. And like you said, he's been a second the last two years and, and certainly has an incredible case to, to be MVP this year. I want to stick with Joel Embiid here for just a minute. How has his game changed this year compared to last year or maybe not changed, but just like taking that next step? And then therefore, how has it fit in with the guys around him? Yeah, well, I think his durability, um, and really you can go the past two years uh, when you're looking at this, his durability has been a big development, not just from a couple years ago when I think a late knee injury probably prevented him from winning MVP, but certainly earlier in his career when he missed you know multiple seasons because of injury and kind of gained a reputation as being a guy who can't stay healthy. But you know this year he's fought through. He's had a foot issue for a lot of the season. Obviously the calf injury or calf tightness is what kept him out of that very anticipated game in Denver and it's kind of caused some some discourse or some controversy um, here in, in the final weeks of the season but that's definitely something and then I'll go back to what I said before as far as just the way that he can create off the dribble and facilitate when when he gets double teamed now um, it's not typically in the post where it's a lot easier to do that it's, it's going to come from you know the the the, the nail and, and the the elbow and the, and the mid post area and it's where it's a lot easier to see the floor and to pass the ball and to get the get the ball to open teammates and that's why his assist numbers are what they've been the last couple of seasons so you know you look at the way he plays on both ends of the floor he when he wants to play defense he's really dominant obviously on that end and then the way he's a multi-dimensional scorer where yes he can overpower you with his size and his force and the way he can get to the free throw line but he can also hit threes and he can also make shots off the dribble too so he's really a complete basketball player which um, somebody of his size is not typically you know going to fit that mold. 
Having a conversation, Gina Mizell, Philadelphia Inquirer right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra point. Uh, James Harden, less than 60 Mm -hmm. games this season, had an Achilles injury. So how is he first doing health-wise? And at 33 years old, how has he had to adapt his game? Yeah, not just the Achilles, but um, he had a foot sprain earlier in the season that kept him out for about a month. And so that's something that's been monitored kind of all, all this season as well. But you know, he, they're, they're all downplaying the, the soreness in his Achilles right now, but I think you can see at times that it, it's affected him or that he, he felt it at certain points throughout the season, and that's why they opted to shut him down for the last road trip that they went on earlier this month. But, yeah, that's going to be a huge key, obviously, for him going into the playoffs because the last couple of years he's been hampered by the hamstring injury that was, you know, pretty pretty much healed coming into this season, and that's why you saw him. Um, you know, play, play the way that he did to start before he had the foot injury. But, yeah, you mentioned his age and, and the way that he's had to adapt his game because of that, and not just because of where he is in his career, but because of who he's playing around. I mean, when he's playing with a guy that's as dominant as Embiid, um, he's gone off and now leads the league in assists and is now a playmaker for this offense. And you, you've seen him continue to develop in that area, even compared to last season, because you have to remember he was a trade deadline addition. So it was kind of a... It's sort of similar to what Kevin Durant is doing right now in Phoenix in, in that you're sort of trying to adapt and learn on the fly and learn your teammates and figure things out. You go through that, then you go through a training camp and the, the whole regular season, and there's just a higher comfort level. So, no, he's, he's more of a facilitator. He obviously still has times where he makes a lot of shots and is a go-to scorer, but he's not the bona fide number one option in, in the same way that he was when he was you know, an all-NBA player and an MVP um, in, in Houston for so many years. Let's talk about the team. Third place in the East this season. There has been kind of a lot of talk about how the Bucks and Celtics are in a tier of their own. Then you have the 76ers, and then it drops off after them. So what if there is the case for the 76ers being considered in the same class as the Bucks and the Celtics? Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with that, honestly. And the one thing I would say is that the way that the Celtics have played maybe the last six weeks to a month or so where they've sort of fallen off after this had an incredible start. You thought they were going to have the best offense in NBA history and all of that. Um, the way they've kind of tapered off a little bit, I, I think maybe gives the Sixers a, a better chance in a second round series against them, but that's also not a great matchup for them. Um, you know, last uh, the win on Tuesday, notwithstanding when they were able to squeak that one out um, just with the, with the Celtics and the fact that they have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and, Robert Williams and just the 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 way that their roster is made up is, is a tough matchup for the Sixers. They've actually played better against the Bucks, not just this season, but kind of the last couple of seasons historically. So um, if that was the second round matchup, I think I would give them a better shot than against the Celtics, even though they just beat them earlier this week. But I think there's a great case to be made, and this is no disrespect to the Denver Nuggets, the team that I also used to cover. But I think the top three teams in the NBA, at least that they've shown so far this season, I think are all in the Eastern Conference. And I think, unfortunately for the Sixers, the two best ones are right in front of them. And if that sort of plays out in you know the, the normal chalk fashion, that means that the Sixers are going to lose in the second round again. And that, I think, would potentially lead to a lot of changes here in Philly. Uh, I think you're the perfect person to ask this question, too. So we've seen, you know, load management kind of take a life of its own this season. And 
for me, at least, it has made kind of handicapping how good these teams really are or, you know, who's going to have the edge going into the playoffs. So as someone who has covered several different teams in this league throughout your career, you know, how do you assess trying to figure out who's good, who's going to match up well against one another and and kind of preview what happens in the playoffs? Yeah, it's tough because it's not just load management, but it's also the way that the schedule can break. I mean, for instance, when the Sixers were in Phoenix a couple of weeks ago, you know, Kevin Durant doesn't play, so that's a major layer. And then the Sixers were on the second night of a back-to-back, and James Hurts didn't play. So, again, how do you, like, evaluate that random regular season game on a, on a Saturday in late March? It's really, really difficult. And, again, even going back to the Sixers beating the Celtics on Tuesday, that was a huge win for them, but – Robert Williams didn't play in that game, and Jalen Brown didn't play in that game. Or you look at the Sixers lose to the Heat last night, but Tyree Sexy didn't play. I mean, it's just it's really, really challenging to sort of, like you said, evaluate where certain teams are because it's so rare that both teams are either at full strength or at, you know, this term now that we hear that's called rest advantage, and that doesn't even necessarily pertain to player health, but it's just who's on a back-to-back? Who's on the last game of a long road trip? Who has gotten days off randomly and is like fresh and ready to go but are they rusty because they've had three days off it's just really hard where um you know everyone's kind of on their own separate journey as far as these teams are are concerned it's not like the nfl or some other you know sports where it's kind of consistent where they're playing on the same day they've got the same amount of rest both teams are generally fully healthy in most cases um so no that's going to make the playoffs really fascinating and and certainly the Sixers are kind of at the heart of that given um you know what what they've had to deal with this season Gina Mizell Philadelphia Inquirer right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra point you mentioned Tyrese Maxey there he was dealing with a fractured bone earlier in the season he's averaging Mm -hmm. 20.3 points per game 43.4 percent from three so what sort of role is he going to have to play in the postseason for this team to have success Yeah, he's been really, really good the past month or so, too. And it was interesting because when he came back from that broken foot, um, he initially was coming off the bench um, as kind of a six-man role. And that didn't really work. He wasn't super comfortable or didn't look very comfortable there. And so um, on March 1st, they moved him back into the starting lineup, and he has just been tearing it up scoring-wise. I mean, his shooting percentages are off the charts, especially from three. And just kind of looks back to – being the dynamic Tyrese Maxey that sort of had a big breakout season last year. And so that's, I think, what they're going to need to see from him is that aggressiveness being, you know, sometimes a go-to scorer, but just a really dangerous complimentary scorer with the way that he can get to the basket, the way he can shoot from three. He's one of the fastest players in the NBA, so getting out in transition and kind of sneaking behind the defense is where he can be really um, effective. And and so, yeah, that's what they're looking for um, from him as they go to the playoffs. But his emergence, or I guess re-emergence, has been a pretty major storyline um, over the past you know, several weeks or so because, yeah, he was first he was hurt, then it just looked kind of funky for him for a little while, but he's certainly, I think, in a good headspace and feeling confident and obviously uh, you know, playing very well right now. How do you uh, foresee the rotation shrinking and being used come playoff time? Yeah, that's always a, a huge thing, and that was one thing that this team added quite a bit of depth um, in the offseason, which has certainly helped them during the regular season, but, you know, I think it's going to go down to probably eight, maybe nine players in the first round, and then it's going to shrink even more. So you look off the bench, um, you know, Paul Reed is Joel Embiid's backup, but how much does he play? Um, someone like a George Niang, who's a great three-point shooter, but has been struggling from deep as of late, and if he's not making shots, it's kind of hard to keep him on the floor because of some other deficiencies in his game. Um, you know, Shake Milton had a great run as a backup guard, but he's been kind of in and out of the rotation the last few weeks. 
uh, you know, Jalen McDaniels was their trade deadline acquisition, and so he's still, you know, effective, but it's kind of, you can tell, still getting comfortable on this roster. So, yeah, I think that the rotation is going to be really interesting. Of course, it might depend on who they match up against in the first round, and then I think we'll, we'll expect to see that shrink as, as they go deeper and deeper in the playoffs, which is, uh, I think, pretty typical for a team. Gina Mizell, Philadelphia Inquirer here on KDOS AM 1060. So the, the sixth uh, place is still yet to be decided in the East, but if the 76ers do end up having to play the Nets in the first round of the playoffs, Cam Johnson and especially Mikel Bridges have been given yeah. the green light to shoot and score buckets. So how challenging of a matchup is that for the 76ers? And I, I believe that they are scheduled to play them one more time uh, before the end of the regular season, but again, who knows who's actually going to be playing? Exactly. Yeah, that's their regular season finale on Sunday. And if things are locked up, I mean, even if things aren't locked up for the Nets necessarily, um, I think that's going to be a game where you see the Sixers play. A lot of folks that you have, I think we might see slam dunk champ Mac McClung potentially on the floor for, for that game. So I do think it's probably going to be the Nets in the first round. And yeah, you mentioned the, the two former Suns guys, uh, Mikhail Bridges has been ex- incredible as far as, yeah, like you said, um, getting the green light to score and, and the way he's emerged as like a bona fide number one offensive player has been pretty impressive to me as somebody who watched the first couple years of his career and you saw that offensive development but I don't know if I foresaw this coming and then Cam Johnson obviously getting a chance to sort of reestablish himself after you know coming off the injury that he had in Phoenix earlier this season but I, I like the Sixers in that matchup just because I don't think they have size to match up against Embiid um you know, Nick, Nick Claxton is a, a really fun player to watch and has had a, a great season, but just is not big enough, I think, to match up with Embiid. But, um, yeah, that would be, a, I think, a, a, maybe a five-game series, uh, potentially a, a sweep, but I would could probably give the Nets one game. But, yeah, that would be an interesting look because the Sixers played the Nets in uh, February was the last time that they played them, and it was actually the debut for Bridges and Cam Johnson. So that was their very first game. Mikael Bridges had a chance to make a game winner and missed it, and I know he was really upset with himself after that game. But, you know, with uh, with some more intense scouting and a week to prepare and, and get ready for that matchup, I think I like the Sixers in the first-round series. Has Doc Rivers been asked or reflected on anything from last year to this year and some of the ways to handle the postseason differently than years prior with the 76ers? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the fact that they deliberately wanted to add some more toughness um, to their group this season, uh, which they feel like they've done that with somebody like a P.J. Tucker, who obviously another former son who uh, is, is a guy that doesn't care about scoring but is a really good defender, uh, really physical, very communicative, is kind of one of those vocal leaders and sort of the guy that you need on a, on a playoff team. That's why the Milwaukee Bucks traded for him when they won the title. That's why the Miami Heat wanted him last year when they were the top seed in the East. And so that's a, I think we're now going to see the time that P.J. Tucker is most valuable for this team. Um, and then just, you know, again, I think a lot of it goes back to the fact that this team believes that they have more chemistry and more cohesion than they did last year just because they got a full season of James Harden and Joel Embiid in particular playing together and a lot of, um, you know, the rest of this group. And DeAnthony Melton, another former son, I feel like I just keep talking about former Phoenix players, is another big addition that they think can help them on the perimeter defensively and can make some shots and has spent a lot of time in the starting lineup uh, just because of the injuries to Harden and Maxi throughout the year. So, no, I think they're better equipped. It's certainly, um, I think, a much better team than last year. Again, they're just stacked up against 
really good competition, and I'm looking forward to seeing how you know it all sort of pans out. Uh, Gina, before we let you go here, I think I asked you this last year, so I'm going to ask it again this year. Uh, another okay. year into the partnership with Embiid and Harden, what you've been talking mm-hmm. about, what is not making it to the Eastern uh, Conference Finals considered? Is that a, a failure if they don't make it there? And what happens to this team if that doesn't take place? I do think it's a failure, and I do think if they do not make it, uh, there would be some changes. Um, you know, generally in that type of situation, the the coach can be the fall guy. Um, I'm not, that's like me just speculating. That's not me reporting that Doc Rivers would be fired if, if that, if they were to, to fail to get out of the second round. But I think that's a possibility. Um, of course, there were some rumblings earlier this season about James Harden potentially weighing going back to Houston, which to me, just as a person, that seems like an odd fit given the, the state of that team. But, you know, if, if this team kind of falls flat again, I could see some significant changes being made. Um, you know, I know a lot of people wonder about somebody like Embiid and, and we're always looking for who's the next big superstar to want to leave. I don't sense any of that from Joel. Um, I know he appreciates playing in Philadelphia and embraces the city and, you know, wants to, to bring a title here or to succeed here. But yeah, I think um, if, if they fail to get out of the second round, which they have not gotten out of the second round since Allen Iverson was, was leading that team, I, I do think it would lead to some pretty significant changes in a very, very interesting summer here. Just saying the name Allen Iverson is like major flashbacks. And... Oh, yeah. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. <laughs> Absolutely. Gina, as always, thank you so much for the time and look forward to doing it again soon. All right, no problem, Kayla. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Once again, she is Gina Mizell there with the Philadelphia Inquirer. Always appreciate her time on the program. You know, she brings up some interesting points here about what's going to happen with the 76ers because we've talked about it on this show, uh, just in the Eastern Conference and how the Bucs are kind of where they're at. The Celtics are where they're at. And can the 76ers break through that barrier? And if you can't, sometimes you have to kind of tear it on down to rebuild but obviously Joel Embiid is a centerpiece and where he has taken his game I know we had the MVP conversation uh, yesterday but you still can't argue the point that he hasn't elevated his game and that you can't argue the point that he isn't so important to what the 76ers are trying to do. So it'll be fascinating to see how the NBA East all unfolds. We'll get into much more. We'll dive into the Masters and some of the controversy that took place yesterday as well. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. SB Nation Radio is now Sports Map Radio. Keeping sports content fresh and fun. Join us right here on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today. Bob Kemp on a scheduled day off expected to be back in the sports zone Monday 9 a.m. Thanks to Gina Mizell from the Philadelphia Inquirer for joining us talking all things 76ers. You can always podcast interviews and shows over at KDOS 1060. In addition to the KDOS 1060 app, as well as on Spotify and Apple, where you get your podcasts. Let's have a conversation about Augusta and the Masters that's going on right now. Uh, Brooks Kepka, he's done. He's in the clubhouse 
for 36 holes at 12 under par. And then amateur Sam Bennett is in uh, second place right now at 7 under par. He just birdied the par 5 13th. And uh, you have to go back a long ways in order to find an amateur in in contention come the weekend time at Augusta National. Sam Bennett had already broken records set by Ryan Moore when he was an amateur of just based upon the first round. I can't imagine what records he's going to be setting if he's able to get in to the clubhouse at least at seven or a few under par taking advantage of the par 5 15th upcoming. Victor Hovland, he just started his round. He's even through two. John Rahm also started his round and it's already off to a better start than yesterday he uh did not four putt today so he's uh even par through one sitting at seven under as well jason day he was making a bit of a charge he was sitting at nine under par and then he took a double bogey on the par 5 13th uh then after that uh looks like some some more i'm sorry the par 5 15th and then he bogeyed 16 as well so he's dropped down to six under par but he's one under on the day so We'll continue to monitor things as uh, the weather is expected to get worse today in the afternoon to see how that impacts those teeing off in the afternoon. Uh, obviously, Brooks Kepka taking advantage of the beautiful conditions yesterday and the beautiful conditions from this morning. But let's talk a little bit about Brooks Kepka. A little controversy took place yesterday. Uh, so actually, I stumbled into this because I wanted to see... John Rahm's four putt from hole number one yesterday. And on the Masters website, they actually have video of every single shot. Uh, so, you know, that age old saying there's no pictures on scorecards? Apparently, there's video. Uh, so, anyway, I got to watch that. But because of this video, people saw an incident that occurred between Brooks Kepka's caddy as well as Gary Woodland's caddy. Uh, so, here is what took place yesterday according to the video uh brooks kepka was hitting his second shot into the par 5 15th and his caddy is then seen mouthing the number five to gary woodland's caddy in what was discussed suggesting his caddy was telling gary's caddy that brooks hit five iron into that green that's a penalty in the rules of golf. If that actually occurred, that is uh, giving advice, whether it's you, whether it's your caddy uh, giving advice, that's a penalty, whether it's an opponent's uh, caddy or an opponent asking for advice, that's a penalty. But uh, Augusta National and their uh, committee there has ultimately decided that no penalty was given after they discussed it with all the parties involved. But I can't imagine that if Brooks Kepka were to go on to win this event, that this isn't going to be talked about for quite some time. That uh, video evidence certainly showed him mouthing the number five. Um, so we'll see how this all unfolds uh, as the weekend is approaching. Rory McIlroy, though, he shot even par yesterday. And this is yet again... Rory McIlroy coming to Augusta and struggling mightily in round number one. But it's also lingering now into round number two as he is five over today 
through 12 holes. So he's not going to make the cut unless the weather just gets absolutely brutal and somehow the cut moves to five over. Uh, I don't anticipate that happening, but we'll see how things uh, unfold as the afternoon continues. But at this point, Rory trying to go for the career Grand Slam, just everything that unfolded for him uh, losing his chance at winning a Masters by hitting it so far left. No one knew cabins existed over there on the 10th hole. Uh, there's obviously some mental damage for him here at Augusta. And at this point, like I said, this is just pure mental for Rory McIlroy. Um because his game is in probably the best place it's been in the last several years. He's been playing really solid golf here for the last 15, 18 months or so. Uh, You certainly saw signs of him switching his putter and really feeling like he found something there. Uh, He went and found a different driver that was allowing him to keep it a little bit more in play. And uh, it it just is all mental for where he's at and it comes to Augusta National and vying for the career Grand Slam and winning a green jacket. Uh, another player that monitoring here, Scotty Scheffler. So Scotty Scheffler shot four under yesterday. He is now two over par on his round today. And I have never seen Scotty Scheffler like this in my life on the golf course. Visible frustration, outward frustration. You know, he may be irked inside, but he does a really good job of of not uh, getting animated. I've seen so many different putter flips. I've seen all sorts of things that are very uncharacteristic for Scotty Scheffler. So to me, that suggests, uh, you know, he lost 3.5 strokes on the green yesterday. So he shot four under yesterday despite putting pretty poorly. So you figured, okay, he's still right in the thick of things here. A few more putts start to drop. But I think that mental part of the game that's spilling out into frustration that maybe is coming from a place of really just over trying. You know, we talked about it in all the previews of the Masters of just how hard it is to repeat here at Augusta. It's only happened three times and it kind of all comes down to to the mental approach, right? And I think we're starting to see it here. Uh, We'll see if he can take advantage of the par 5 15th and see if he can get back to even on the day and four under for the tournament. But it's just amazing how this game of golf Scotty Scheffler is playing better he's playing so great he's playing better than he was playing last year and just how little things mentally here and there impact your physical ability so much and how the mental side of things just changes dynamics like no other when it comes to the game of golf One other note that I have for you that we saw yesterday and we had talked about it, uh, the changes to the golf course and hole number 13, they added 35 yards of distance to the hole, kind of trying to make it more of a risk reward, uh, make it a decision whether or not you were going to go for it or lay up. Well, here are the statistics from round number one on that par five. 64% of the field still went for the green in two. There were 39 birdies or better, 33 pars, 14 bogeys or worse, and the hole still played under par. So I think there's a couple of different things. Yesterday, I I can't stress enough how perfect the conditions were to play golf yesterday. There was very little wind. 
Um, and then I think in general, the way that this golf course likes to play, they like to play it with um, a lot of speed and get things really fiery. And this is something that Alex Myers of Golf Digest talked with us about this week. But there had been so much rain leading up to this event that it really kind of prohibited that from happening. The, the golf course wasn't able to get as fiery and firm as they wanted it to. And it, then all of a sudden we started getting all this humidity there. And all that moisture was just staying in the green, staying in the fairways. So they weren't able to get it like they would normally expect it to be. So the combination of that with it being really receptive and just ideal conditions, if you were playing on your game, you tore it up. And we saw that. We're seeing that here today as well. So now it just comes down to when is this weather front coming in? How many holes can a guy like John Rahm get through before it gets really nasty and changes everything? And can he keep Brooks Kepka in his sights? Or is Brooks Kepka going to have quite a lead heading into the weekend? We'll see how it all unfolds, but we'll wrap up our number one of the extra point on the other side of the break. Have you downloaded the KTUS 1060 app yet? Download today and get all of your favorite local and national shows right on your phone. Wrapping up our number one on this Friday, April 7th. Uh, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today. Bob Kemp on a scheduled day off. Expected to be back Monday morning in the sports zone, 9 a.m. As we conclude this hour number one, what's up with the Pac-12 conference? In terms of where do things stand, media rights deals. If you remember... We had plenty of reporting uh, a little over a month ago that said expect something to get done in March, that presidents of Pac-12 universities were saying that to plenty of people on record that you could expect something to get done in March. And here we are on April 7th and nothing is on the horizon. Uh, Stuart Mandel and Max Olson of The Athletic are reporting that a deal for the 2024, 2025 and beyond seasons won't likely be announced until, quote, late spring or early summer. So that's an interesting little twist here about what the the future holds for the Pac-12. So what else is Mandel and Olson reporting? Part of the delay, they say, may be the emergence of a new partner, and that would be the CW. Uh, Many of you may not be familiar with the CW. It is uh, an over-the-network channel that uh, carried shows like Gossip Girl and Supernatural. So I don't think a lot of programs that you're accustomed to watching. But the CW's parent company, Nexter Media Group, actually has shown an appetite for live sports. They're actually the ones that signed a deal with Live Golf. So uh, there seems to be kind of an interest here in getting into live sports. The CW, this isn't the first I've heard of their emergency thought I had heard it a little while ago as well. So maybe there is some traction on this front. Maybe it's just uh, also trying to pivot that against an ESPN who maybe won't come off of their positioning. Because still, according to this report, ESPN remains interested in the Pac-12, but reportedly not at the price that the Pac-12 wants. 
And also, the question is, would the schedule remain the same, like the same number of games that uh, the Pac-12 currently has slotted for ESPN and the ESPN family of networks? Or would it go down to maybe just the 10.30 p.m. Eastern window? Uh, so maybe they're trying to pit uh, you know, this whole thing against one another because ESPN uh, has been very forthright with how they want to start scaling back on some of their costs. And so maybe this is potentially one of those things, not wanting to overextend themselves with this media rights deal. There had been a lot of discussion as well from different presidents in the Pac-12 that said, yeah, our deal is going to be in line with the Big 12. And the Big 12's deal with ESPN and Fox is reportedly $31.7 million per school. Uh, some of the presidents are kind of walking that back a little bit and saying, well, we'll just see what happens. Uh, so whether or not the Pac-12 can get in that range, we don't know. What schools are going to be in the Pac-12, we don't know. Uh, obviously, USC, UCLA off to the Big Ten when this particular contract would be coming around. So what schools would be added to the Pac-12? We still have the chirping of potentially the Big 12 trying to expand, taking maybe an ASU or a U of A. Are those conversations still ongoing? There's still a lot yet here. We're hearing a lot of you know, reporting. We're hearing a lot of things from presidents. We're not really hearing a lot from the commissioner of the Pac-12, George Kliakoff. So kind of interesting to see how this all unfolds. But the update here reported by Stuart Mandel and Max Olson is that uh, expect an announcement not until, quote, late spring or early summer. So we'll see how all of that unfolds with the Pac-12. But that'll do it for hour number one. Hour number two is upcoming. Plus, we still have the $100 gift certificate, Devon Hansen's Meats and Spirits, available to you. That's coming in hour number two.